Well, uh, so good to get, again be with you. Happy Mother's Day again. I'm going to say this like five times today because last year I forgot to say Happy Mother's Day. So this year I'm going to really make up for it. Happy Mother's Day, and we're really glad that you're here today. Uh, we're going to dive into God's Word, and we're going to look at qualifications for elders that Paul lays out in, in the book of Titus. But before we dive in, uh, let me give you one quick little announcement, just kind of as some context here, because I'm not going to talk about it a lot during the sermon. Uh, But when we're talking about ordained office, the office of elder, uh, our church and our denomination falls into a category that we would call complementarianism. And what that means is that we believe that men and women were both made in the image of God, equally represent the image of God and are equal in dignity and honor and value, but have complementary rather than competing roles in the church. And the way that that gets played out most specifically is that the office of elder we reserve to men. And that's something that, again, I'm not going to dive into too much during the sermon, uh, but it may bring up questions for some of you. And if it does, I'm happy to talk about it and would love to sit down and walk through God's Word together. I hope that you, those of you who have been here for a while, will also notice that just because we reserve the office of elder to men does not mean that we are excluding women from very major and important roles in our church. We have women who are leading ministry teams and small groups. We have women participating in worship all the time, reading scripture, praying, giving announcements. Uh, We believe that women are an integral part to the life and body of the church There's just a couple of things that we say that men are reserved, there's a role reserved specifically for men. So again, if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk with you more about it. Let's dive into God's Word now. Titus chapter 1, if you've got a Bible with you, you can open it up to Titus. I'll start in verse 5 and go through the end of the chapter. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, that's synonymous with elder, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what what they ought not to teach." One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word. 
And we come now to sit under it. Uh, that you would take out uh, your red pen and cross out the things in our hearts and our minds and our lives that shouldn't be there. We ask that you would form us and shape us by your word today. And the Lord also, we might see Jesus more clearly in this passage and in seeing him, might love him more. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Well, some of you who maybe have known me for a little while know that I have a couple of major alter egos, kind of the the things that I wish I was that I'm not. Uh, One of those is that I have always, for all of my life, wished that I was a drummer. And really not just any drummer, but like I want to be that arena rock kind of hair band metal drummer that the the drum set comes up out of the stage, right? And there's wind blowing everywhere and thousands of throngs of people cheering and I've got my long hair and it's going everywhere. And I know I may have just lost half of our membership uh, by admitting that, but it's true. I've always wanted to be a drummer. The second big kind of alter ego in my life is uh, maybe a little bit more refined. It's architect. I've always loved architecture. I've always loved beautiful buildings. Architecture has always fascinated me. And as the Lord would have it, I have a daughter who's a drummer and a brother who's an architect, so I get to live vicariously through these people in my life. Not sure how healthy that really is, but they are the ones that get to play out my alter egos. And you know, if you think about architecture, one of the reasons I think why I would have made a really terrible architect is because I'm just not very good at math. And you really need math to build buildings well. I think if I were an architect, I probably would build some really beautiful buildings that fell down after about a week. Because I just don't get the whole physics thing. And in architecture, if you really want to have real and good and vibrant architecture, obviously you need something that's not only beautiful on the outside, But it's beautiful on the inside too, right? And I'm not talking about the interiors. I'm talking about the structure of the building. There has to be a structure that keeps everything in order or all of that beautiful facade is going to come crashing down. I think it's interesting when we open up this passage that Paul's very first remarks to Titus as he's planting this church in Crete is to put what remains in order. He tells them that the church, just like a building, needs a structure. It needs to be put in order so that the beauty of the church will be protected and so that it will last and flourish for a long, long time. Now, let's just kind of uh, admit here for a second that the order and structure of the church is probably not the most popular thing in the world these days. I mean, Paul is encouraging Titus to institutionalize the church. And that word has kind of become a little bit of a curse word for our culture. We really get scared of institutions. We don't like institutions. They make us nervous. In fact, we've reached a point in our culture where not only is it okay, but in some ways it's almost promoted for Christians to say things like this. I am leaving the church as an act of faithfulness to Jesus. I'm moving away from the structure and the institution of the church so that I might move closer to Jesus. Well, you know, I get some of that because a lot of the structure of the church has done some harm at times. 
But friends, let me just say this up front. The idea that we could move away from the church and toward Jesus is a concept that doesn't make any sense in the Bible. The idea that we should move away from even the structure and organization of the church, the institution of the church, is nowhere to be found in the Bible. Always in the Bible, we find God and his people together, and he has organized them and structured them so that he might care for them well. So here's the big question for us. How are we to go about building that structure of the church, especially when the materials that we have at our disposal are not perfect materials? Because the structure of the church is built with humans, and human beings are not perfect. So how does God build his church, the structure of the church, with imperfect materials? Well, here's the easy answer, is that he does it by his grace. By the power of his spirit, he raises up leaders to organize and govern and structure and lead the church and care for the church the way that he would care for them. And you know what's really wonderful about this passage is that he has given his people also a wonderful privilege and opportunity to identify those that God has raised up, and he's even shown us how to look for them. So here's what we're going to look for today in this passage. We're going to talk about who elders are. What's the, what's the makeup of the ones who make up the structure of the church? And then what they do. So who, who elders are and what elders do. Those are the two things we'll look at today. So let's talk first about who elders are. If you'll listen again in verse 6, if anyone is above reproach is the first thing out of Paul's pen here in verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, and then skip down actually to verse 7, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. So two times kind of bracketing this little segment, Paul has said that one of the foundational principles that you should look for in an elder is someone who is above reproach. Now you may have a Bible in front of you that has that translated as blameless. That doesn't mean sinless. You'll hear me say this multiple times today. Elders are not sinless. They're not perfect. But blameless in the sense that Daniel was blameless in front of the Babylonians. Blameless in the sense that those who looked on his external life actually saw the same thing as was in his internal life. And even the people that didn't like him didn't have anything to say against him. You could say in many ways that being above reproach is meaning that your outside matches your inside, right? What is outside is the same as what is inside, and you can see the inside from the outside. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of maybe opening the refrigerator, and there's that, you know, nondescript styrofoam to-go container that's just sitting on the top shelf there, and you just know. You just know it's the leftover half of a muck and fuss burger that you put in there yesterday, that you cut in half specifically and saved half of it and put in there yesterday knowing that you were going to want to eat it today. And then you take it out, already kind of salivating a little bit, and set it there on the counter and open it up, and lo and behold, it's not the muck and fuss burger. It's kind of an old wilted salad that just spent a little bit too much time in the car and that dressing is starting to really make the lettuce soggy, and it's kind of turning into a little brown goo, and it's already starting to smell kind of odd because one of your children ate the burger, and all that's left over is the leftover salad. That's not what you want. 
That is a big disappointment because you couldn't see what was in the inside when you were looking from the outside. <laughs> see, what elders' lives are supposed to be like are more like transparent kind of containers, right, where you can look in and you can see. You can always see from the outside what's in there. You're never going to get hung up on somebody whose life just doesn't match. The people even who want to not like you can't because they can see what's inside your life, and it looks pretty good. Then Paul goes on to really talk about what that inside looks like. And the first thing is he gives us a list of what shouldn't be there. Again, elders are not perfect, but there should be some things in their lives that are consistently absent. So there should be some things that are consistently absent from their lives. Listen to the way he says it. An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Arrogance, the uh, idea that I think of myself much more highly than I ought. The idea that I'm in it as a leader of God's church in order to build up my own ego. It's really an outsized need for acclaim or for power. That's at the heart of arrogance. And you know what usually goes with an arrogant person? It's somebody who's got a pretty quick temper. Someone with a quick temper is somebody who's got an outsized appetite for control. And so when things don't go according to the way that I want them always controlled, my temper flares up in a moment. I didn't get it the way I wanted to. Boom, there's the anger. And then, of course, what usually goes with quick-temperedness, it's the response of quick-temperedness. It's violence. It's the idea that my temper is quick and so are my actions, and that's usually in a hurtful way to the people around me. And then he says, not a drunkard. Drunkenness is an outsized appetite for pleasure most of the time, or maybe an outsized understanding of what can fill the deep holes in your life. And then finally, this idea of greed an outsized desire for wealth or the things that wealth affords. Are you picking up a trend here? Is that those things that we want to be absent from an elder's life are those outsized or misplaced appetites. And here's the other trend, is that they're almost always about me. <laughs> an elder, Paul says right out of the gate, should not be somebody that's placing himself above others, whether it's my own power or control or my needs for pleasure or wealth or whatever it is. He then gives us a list of what to look for, right? So we get the other side of the coin, the positive, and this is what he says. Uh, an elder should be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Well, how about these things? A hospitable person is somebody who, who loves to open their home and their life to others, as someone who actually loves other people. And then someone who's a lover of good not only loves people, but loves virtue. There's a word we don't use in our culture very often. Goodness, truthfulness, justice, mercy. An elder's life is marked by the love for those things, the things that God loves and elder loves. And then this, self-controlled, disciplined. Somebody who actually can rein in their appetites, who has the ability working by the power of God's spirit to actually control his appetites and live a disciplined and godly life. And then these two great words, upright and holy. 
And in many ways, these are the external and the internal ramifications of what righteousness looks like in a person's life. Uprightness is a life lived in holiness and righteousness. And that holiness, the internal piety and devotion to the Lord. Again, what's outside matches what's inside. And then, of course, what they love the most, we get here at the very end in verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. What an elder loves are people and the Lord and the Bible. That's what we look for in our elders, men who love people above themselves, men who love goodness and justice and righteousness and mercy and virtue above themselves. Men who love God's word in such a way that they just let it run loose in their lives. Someone who has been so worked over by God's word that they're beginning to take the shape of that word. And they just kind of bleed Bible when you prick them. That's the description of what to look for in an elder. So where do you look for these things? I think this is fascinating actually. Paul tells us that the best place to look for them is actually in the family to dig into a person's marriage and his parenting. Now, this is interesting, right? Because there's plenty of different places that we could go to look for who a person is. You know, you could check out their political ideas. You could look at the way that they vote or the way that they declare what they believe to be true or what they desire to happen in the world. How do we think things should be organized? How do we think people should be governed? How do we think people should interact in society? political sphere. Or you can look at their work life and you can say, okay, this person who probably spends most of their life at work, how do they work? What does that look like? Now, these seem like they're probably two fairly legitimate places to look for character, but you know what? They're not the best places because you can look at either one of these and you can find something on the outside that may not match what's on the inside. It is a lot easier to pretend at work. And it is a lot easier to pretend in the way that you vote. It is a lot easier to pretend on social media. It's a lot harder to pretend with your family. Consider somebody like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is, by all accounts, one of the, uh, one of the greatest uh, business leaders in American history. Probably will go down as the top five business leaders ever in our country. He literally has changed the world of technology. A brilliant man, a phenomenal business leader, but by all accounts also a really, really terrible person to be around. In fact, I read some quotes about people who were close to Steve Jobs. You know what kind of words they would use for him? Arrogant, quick-tempered, violent. Sound familiar? See, it's easy to produce really well in the workplace. It's easy to be a leader in your field and not have the character that would show up at home. But it's a lot harder to pretend with your wife and with your children because they know you. They know you in the down times. They know you in the bad times. They can see through what others cannot. So Paul says, if you want to find a leader who loves God and others more than he loves himself. If you want to find someone whose inside matches his outside, if you want to find somebody who has been shaped and formed by God's word, 
the best place to look is at his family. All right, that's who elders are. Let's talk just for a moment about what they do. What's the function of an elder? Well, we read here in verse 9 that it's twofold. He must hold to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. To give instruction and sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. So an elder's job is twofold. It's to teach and lead according to God's word, to give instruction and form and shape God's people. He's not only shaped by God's word, he's actually being used by God to shape others by God's word. And then, when necessary, to rebuke and correct and care for God's people. Now, if you've ever had a garden, you probably get this innately. Or a yard. When, when we moved to Louisiana, one of the things that, that we thought, we bought our house and we thought, you know, shoot, it doesn't have a sprinkler system. I guess we're going to have to spend that money up front. Well, people just kind of looked at us like with a strange face, like, what's a sprinkler system? We've never even heard of that. Of course you don't need a sprinkler system. It rains all the time. And so we had this gorgeous yard that we never had to do anything to and these huge trees and green lush grass and flowers everywhere because it rains and the rain feeds the plants. And so if you want stuff to grow, you need to water it. You need to make sure the soil is fertile. You need to make sure there's sunlight. And if you start to work in those things, guess what? You're going to get growth. Well, in many ways, that's the job of the elder is actually to water God's people with God's word, to, to see the fertile ground there so that they might grow, to see the sunlight come in so that their hearts might be changed. They are to teach and lead and encourage so that people might grow. But sometimes there are other things that you have to do in your yard or in your garden. After this big winter freeze, my yard looked like the moon. Everything was brown. It was terrible. And I had to go and actually cut down a lot of our plants right down to the very bottom, A, so that it wouldn't look like a desolate landscape, but even more so, so that it might have room to grow. See, sometimes you have to do the job of pruning, of weeding, of clipping, of trimming, of taking out the dead areas so that there might be growth there. And that is also the job of an elder, is to rebuke when necessary, to train, to prune, to pull weeds. And you know what? All of that rebuking is actually part of caring for God's people. Look at what Paul says in verse 11 here. He's talking about these false teachers, and he says, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families for teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. See, the false teaching is not just leading to bad doctrine. The bad doctrine is leading to hurting the people. God's people don't flourish under bad doctrine. And so the elders have to protect God's word and protect his people by doing the work of rebuking when necessary. It's part of the way that they care. It's part of the way that they love. It's part of the way that they lead by pruning. All right, that's who elders are. That's what they do. What do we do with it? Let's talk practically for just a minute. I want to talk about four ways, actually, that you can be in prayer about this. So you, you heard the implicit recommendation is that we get to pray about this. Here are four ways that we can pray. Here's the first thing, is that 
we need to pray that God would raise up elders who look like this, that God would raise up from our midst men who look like this list, this good list, not the bad list, that God would bring us people who have been formed and shaped by his word to love God and to love people who are hospitable and who are lovers of virtue and who want to promote things like justice and mercy in the world. That God would raise up men whose lives can be seen easily from the outside because the inside matches the outside. Men whose families show and reflect exactly those things. Again, not perfect people, but people who by God's grace have been formed into the image of Christ more and more in their lives. So that's the first thing. Please pray that God would do that. If you're new to this church, you may not know that we don't have elders yet. And we're waiting, actually, on God to raise them up so that we might have those more elders outside of just me to help lead and shepherd and govern and guide and rebuke God's people. That's the first thing to pray for. Here's the second thing to pray for, is to pray for your own eyes to see the right kinds of people that God is raising up. See, sometimes God can actually be bringing people up and we can be so blind to it so used to doing things kind of the cultural way that we actually don't see what's right in front of us. And we think, again, well, maybe this is just the person who has the most business success or who's, uh, you know, a leader in their field or who's just been here a long time and kind of paid his dues. That's who we need to elect as elders. Friends, pray that God would give us clear eyes and patient eyes to wait on him and his timing that we might clearly see who he has brought to us. And then here's the third thing, is that pray that you would look more like this list. Maybe that's surprising, but it shouldn't be, because an elder is also a disciple. And this list in many ways shows what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian whose life has been changed by the gospel, to be one who is who has embodied the gospel so much, who has taken it in and drunk it in that it's started to change your life and you're starting to look like this. It's, op- it's okay to pray that God would make you look more like this description as well. And then here's the final thing, is not just to use this passage as what to look for, but actually also whom to look to. Because, one more time, There are no perfect elders. An elder that matches that description perfectly is not coming to our church (laughs) because none of us can do it. But there is one who does match perfectly, and he is the king and the head of our church. He is the one who loves good. He is called the king of righteousness. He is the one who loves hospitality so much that he would come to us and spread out a table before us that we're about to participate in in just a minute. The one who loves hospitality so much that Paul would say he's adopted us into his family. He hasn't just had us over for dinner. He's made us part of his family. One who is disciplined and self-controlled so much that he could say in the midst of the worst pain that any human could feel, your will be done and not mine. The one who has taken up his cross on our behalf, that he might be our righteousness, that he might forgive our sins on his death. Friends, we do 
have a good and true elder, and his name is Jesus. And when you are waiting for elders to come up in this church, make sure that they are looking to him as well. Because an elder who's trying to stand on his own righteousness is going to lead you in the wrong way. Our elders need to be our chief repenters. They need to be the ones who are running to Jesus the fastest. They need to be the ones who are embodying their need, embodying their need for grace more than anybody. And you know what? When that happens, when we start to look to Christ as the head of the church, when we start to see that he has actually fulfilled all those things, something amazing happens, is that we actually start to look more like him, is that we all start to take on more of this character, is that all of these wonderful things that Paul describes there actually start to become more of who we are as a church. Friends, we get to pray that God would be at work doing that in our body and in our hearts. Let's pray that now. Father in heaven, we're grateful that you have given a structure to your church, and we are humbled that you would even choose broken, fallen, absolutely messed up people to be that structure. Lord, that you would choose those who need guidance, who need leadership to be the ones who are called to lead and to guide or those who need teaching to be the ones who are called to teach. How incredibly humbling this is. But Lord, will you do the work of building your church? And Lord, will you build that even in our church that we might all come to look more like, like Jesus because His Spirit is at work in us. We pray all of this in His name. Amen.